it's really made me consider, you know, how did this even happen? How did Hitler, how did Hitler come to power? Because right. it wasn't an overnight thing. The Holocaust didn't just start overnight. It was gradual. Yeah. It was gradual. And I think that's really important to remember. And I think that's really important to be aware of that it's not just, oh, suddenly, you know, right. we're killing we're killing millions of Jews. No, it, it was years and years and years prior to that. And it was a slow progression that led to more and more aggressiveness, more and more violence. And then finally you get termination camps and where you know you have gas chambers. So it doesn't just start overnight. It takes it takes a while to get there. And recognizing those early signs, I think is really important. Absolutely. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Happy Wednesday and welcome to a very special episode of Further Together, the ORU podcast. In this episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Lauren Schaefer from ORU's Employee Relations and Diversity Team. She shared her story, actually the story of her great-grandfather's and grandmother's escape from Nazi Germany in the 1930s by video for ORU's Heritage Day and I asked her if she would be willing to share the story again as part of the podcast. So what you're about to hear is our conversation related to the whole, that whole story, the impact on her family, um, and the impact on her personally. So um, we had a great conversation and I just, I hope you'll pay attention through the whole episode. Thank you so much. My brother was 10 years old and he was, they were reading a book. So he was in fourth grade. They were reading a book called Number the Stars, which it's fiction, but it's historical fiction about a family, a Jewish family escaping the Holocaust. And so he was reading that book in fourth grade, he's 10 years old. And the, one of the assignments was to talk to someone, to do it, to interview someone who was alive during that time. So he interviewed my grandmother. My grandmother had never shared her story with our family before. And she was in her early sixties at this point. And she probably had talked about it, you know, with her husband and things like that. And my mom knew, you know, the high level information that she was born in Germany and came over here in 1939 but my mother had never heard this story. So my brother is 10 and he's interviewing his grandmother, my grandmother, and asking her all these questions. And she is just, you know, telling all of it. And my grand, my mom is sitting there crying because she's never heard this before. And this, this was really the very first instance of my grandmother sharing that story. And that's kind of what kicked off my grandmother then so the story was, you know, it's amazing, right? It's, it's, and it's important to tell and um, it's important for kids and, and adults, obviously, to understand. So my brother turned in his report and his teacher, Miss Bowman, who is still a close family friend, Miss um, Bowman asked, 
would your grandmother be willing to come in and speak to the class? You know, once we finish the book, would she be willing to come in and speak to the class? And of course she said yes. And that was really the first instance of my grandmother going to into schools and sharing her story with mainly elementary school children. And she went back to that elementary school every single year, you know, probably yeah. for probably for 20 years um, and told that story and then continued to tell it at other elementary schools. Um, you know, my cousins in Michigan, then they, she would go to their schools. She lived in Florida for a, a while and she would tell it in their schools down there. And so that it's, it's really interesting that a book is what really led to my grandmother finally feeling comfortable to share this information, to share her story, because before then she never really had. It gives me goosebumps just hearing yeah. you talk about that. Mm -hmm. How it, it almost, it may almost have never happened. Yeah, if exactly. Not for, if not for my 10 year old brother asking about it. Yeah. yeah, if not for a book and if not for a, a school assignment. Right. Um, which goes back to like what we were saying. It's so important. You know, you said, I don't know if it's still taught in schools. I, I don't know either. I hope so. I hope people are still reading, you know, Anne Frank's diary and the number of the stars and, and those books, because it is, you know, essentially important because if we don't know history, we're bound to repeat it. Um, and that's what can be very scary these days, you know, going back to our original piece about, you know, the people who, you know, have swastika flags and things like that. Are they just unaware of the history? I kind of hope that's the case because then, you know, you can educate that. You can teach history. You can yes. teach, you know, the horrors of the Holocaust. Um, but if they're aware of that and still supporting it, that's that's a different kind of issue. So Lauren, tell the story of your grandfather's and then your grandmother's escape from Germany. Yeah, okay, happy to. So my grandmother was born in 1930 in Berlin, Germany, to Jewish Hungarian immigrants. And most people think about World War II happening, you know, in the 40s, mid, early to mid 40s, which is true, especially for the US. But things began to change for Germany, for Jewish people in Germany, much earlier than that. Hitler rose to power in 1933. So my grandmother was three years old at the time. And really immediately things began to change for Jews in Germany. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of just social outcasts. That's what it was for a long time um, for Jews. It was, you know, they weren't allowed, you know, one example is they had to go to different schools. You know, we all know they had to wear the gold stars on their clothing. So it was mostly making them social outcasts and trying to make life difficult for Jews. Um, by 1937, it had gotten bad enough where my family, so it was my great-grandparents, my grandmother, Eva, and her sister, Margot, was um, four years younger than her. So by 1937, they were really starting to think about how they could leave Germany. But it was more difficult, right? It was easier said than done. So by 1937, they're starting to think about how they could get out of Germany. Then comes by 1938, it was the summer of 1938, and the phone rings at my grandmother's house. And it is this man who is a great friend of the family, Vili Velik. 
which is Willy Walick, but in German, it's pronounced Willy Walick. And he was such a close friend of the family. They called him Uncle Willy. Uncle Willy is what my grandmother still calls him today. And he called uh, my great grandfather, Paul Cohen, and said, I hope you enjoy your trip this evening to Budapest. And my great grandfather did not have a trip planned at that time, but he knew that Uncle Willy was sending him a sign, was kind of warning him. And so my great-grandfather heeded that warning and he immediately packed a suitcase and headed to the train station and he took the midnight train to Budapest. And the next morning at 6 a.m., the Gestapo, which was the German secret police at the time, was knocking at the door, banging on the door at 6 a.m., and my great-grandmother answered and they, they wanted my grandfather. They were going to take him. And my great-grandmother said, he's on a trip and I don't know when he's gonna be back. And that was true, completely true. And they said they, they would be back for him. The reason they wanted him was because he was a chemist. And at that time, Germany was essentially rounding up any scientists that they could find and forcing them to work on nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction because they knew that was where this war was headed and they knew they were in a race with the United States to create this kind of uh, weapon. So my, my great-grandfather had left and he safely got to Budapest and then continued trying to work to get to the United States. While he was doing that, uh, my, great -gra or my grandmother, my great-grandmother and my great-aunt, my grandmother's sister, continued to pretty much live their lives as, as normally as they could. Um, like I said, at that point, it was a lot of just not being allowed to go to school with other German kids, not being allowed to shop in the same stores. It was very similar when you think about, you know, the segregated South in the US, very similar. So they kind of went about living their lives and they would hear from my great grandfather here and there about him trying to get to the US and where he was, but, but not too often. And he didn't want to give them too much information because at that point in time, you know, information could be dangerous. If they knew too much, you know, then they could be forced to share it. Um, so he, stepped, he stayed in contact some, but not a ton. And he stayed in contact through Uncle Vili, Vili Velik. Um, so they continued to live their normal lives until November 9th of 1938. So it had been a few months since my great-grandfather had left in the middle of the night. And November 9th of 1938 was Kristallnacht, or the night of broken glass. And on this day and in this evening, thousands of Jewish businesses were destroyed in Germany. Um, hundreds of synagogues and temples were burned and many, many Jews were killed. And this was truly a turning point in the Holocaust. Previously, it had been segregation and um, social outcastism and things like that. Now it had turned to violence and killing. Th this was a switch that had been flipped on November 9th of 1938. That day, my grandmother was in school. She was, like I said, already attending a Jewish school. She was eight years old and the school knew something was happening that day. And they decided they needed to release the children early and get them home for their, for their safety. They thought that was the best idea. So they were told to run home as quickly as possible. But by the time they opened the gates of the school to let the Jewish school children out, there were already hundreds of German school children waiting for them 
brought there by their teachers, hundreds of German school children and their teachers waiting for these Jewish school children. And they were there to beat them up and to intimidate them and to hurt them. So my grandmother at eight years old, you know, her teachers told her to run. So she did. Um, she ran as fast as she could. She managed to get home with, you know, a bloody lip and some bruises. She was, she had stones thrown at her. She was beaten with sticks. She was knocked to the ground many, many times. Um, but she did make it home. You know, she made it home alive and without, you know, horrible bodily injury. But at that point in time, like I said, that was really a big switch that happened in Germany against Jews. And after that, my family, my grandmother and her family went into hiding. So they, through Willi Velik, they were able to go into hiding with a Christian German family that was willing to risk their lives for my family's lives. Wow. It's amazing. I mean, it is amazing, Absolutely. you know, without these amazing people who were willing to take on this risk, my family would not be here today. Right. So um, they went into hiding and they eventually got word through Billy from my great grandfather, Paul, that he had made it to the US and he was trying to get visas for them. And I think it's important to note, not they, it wasn't just an open border, right? They, the U.S. was not accepting all the all Jewish immigrants. There's actually very famous. There's very famous stories of the U.S. turning away boats, turning away ships full of Jewish immigrants, and saying, "No, you can't come here." My great grandfather got in because he was a chemist, and they and the U.S. knew if we turn certain people away, they could be used against us, essentially. So he was able to get in to the US, thankfully. And then he and Billy worked on getting visas for the rest of the family. However, the only way to get visas at that point in time, the only way for my grandmother and great grandmother and great aunt to get those to get those travel visas was to go wait at the US embassy every single day. Wait and wait for your name to be called. So my grandmother was already in hiding at the time, but they had to get these visas. So every single day, my great grandmother would leave the house they were hiding in and go to the US embassy. She would leave you know, early in the morning so no one would see her. She would make sure no one was following her, no one was watching her. She tried to be as safe as possible because this was very dangerous at the time. Now it was 1939 and she would go to the US embassy and wait every single day in Berlin. Finally, after months of doing this, her name was called, their name was called, and in November of 1939, so a year after Kristallnacht and about a, a year and a half since my great-grandfather had left, finally their name was called and they got visas to travel to the United States. So they boarded a ship in 1939, in November of 1939 to go to the US. Their ship was stopped by, by a German submarine, a U-boat, and Nazis boarded the boat. And they were clearly looking for someone or a group of people. Um, my And they checked everyone's papers. My grandmother says she was terrified that they were gonna take her off the ship. Uh, they did not. I, they were looking for four Jewish scientists that were on the ship. So going back to the scientist theme, um, they did remove those scientists from the ship and it's assumed they were then forced to work on 
nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction. And if they refused, they, they were sent to a concentration camp. So they let the boat go after that, the ship go after that, and they landed in Ellis Island and they went through all the um, customs, immigration, all those types of things. And actually my great grandfather had already changed his name. So he was Paul, Paul Cohen. And when he went through Ellis Island, he decided to change his last name to Corby. Um, it's not that he they wanted to hide that they were Jewish, but there was, a, there was, sti there was stigma. You know, they, mm -hmm. they weren't trying to hide it, but they didn't necessarily want people to immediately know sure. that, they, that they were Jews from Germany or that they were Jews, I guess German. They didn't know English. So I guess it was pretty, pretty obvious that they were from Germany. Um, so that he had changed his name to Corby. So when they went through Ellis Island, they all changed their names. So my grandmother was born Ava Cohn and she changed her name to Eve Corby when they, when they went through Ellis Island. And then finally in New York, they were reunited with my great grandfather. So about a year and a half after he had left in the middle of the night, not knowing when or if they would ever see him again, they were finally reunited, which is amazing. Wow. And yeah, and so they pretty much immediately moved to Detroit. There was a pretty decent sized Jewish population in Detroit. Uh, obviously there's one in Brooklyn as well, but they decided they didn't want to stay in, in New York. They went to Detroit, which was, you know, booming at the time. Mm -hmm. And that is where she lived her entire life. She lived in Florida for the winters, you know, she's a snowboard, snowbird. Um, but now she's, she's up in Michigan permanently now, but, um, but yeah, she had three children. They all had children. Now we all have children. Um, so it's her and her sister, her sister, Aunt Margot is, is up there as well with lots of, lots of kids and grandkids and great grandchildren. <laughs> so <clears throat> my grandmother loves to kind of look around at everyone and think, you know, it, it, she is amazed that she was able to have this life. And she is so incredibly thankful to, to Vili Velik, to Uncle Vili, um, because without him, I mean, single-handedly, we would not, our, my family would not be, be here. Um, right. I think it's important always to remember while my family did have a happy ending, no one else in the family did. So my grandmother's, all, all of her grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, they were all killed in the Holocaust. No one else made it out of Europe alive. And going back to Uncle Vili, Vili Velik, he, he, my family wasn't the only family he helped he helped lots of Jewish families. Um, he was, I forgot to mention this earlier, <clears throat> he was a German intelligence officer and he, he used that position to help Jews, which is just oh, wow. amazing. That is amazing and so I mean, dangerous. It's so dangerous. I, I'm tearful thinking about it because for someone to risk himself like that, mm -hmm. um, to help others is amazing. So he helped multiple Jewish families, including ours. Unfortunately, he was eventually turned in to the Nazis by his own wife. Wow. And he was sent to Auschwitz where he, he eventually did die before the end of the war. So it's important to remember that many, many millions of people were killed in the Holocaust, millions of Jews, but also many, many other people it was not just Jews. It was lots of different minority groups that were targeted and killed in the Holocaust. Six million right. Jews, yes, but also you know hundreds of thousands of others as well. Right. 
And it's something that we can never forget because if we, we have to know history, we have to understand history or in, so we don't, so we don't repeat it. Um, And that's why my family is so set on making sure we tell this story when we, when we get the opportunity, my grandmother has told it hundreds of times to school children all across the country. Um, And then my mom and my aunt have both told it. I've told the story multiple times, my cousins, my brother. Um, We think it's really important because as we get further and further away from the Holocaust time-wise and further and further away from World War II, it's easier to think, oh, that was so long ago. You know, like we kind of brush off history that was so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. My grandmother's 91 years old, she's still alive. And she remembers the Holocaust. It was not that long ago. Right. And, and we have to remember that, you know, we can't let this happen again. You know, we say never forget is, is something that's regularly said about the Holocaust. And that <laughs> it's really, really important that we continue to keep these memories alive so that we, we don't make the same mistakes. Absolutely. Well, thank you, first of all, for sharing all mm-hmm. of that. I know it's um, challenging. I keep imagining myself in the shoes of your grandmother at... How old was she? Eight? Yeah, so she was eight during Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. So she's yeah. eight years old. Mm-hmm. Her father has been gone for a year, mm-hmm. somewhere that she doesn't really know and certainly can't understand, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she has to run, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, gets beaten up anyway, but has to mm-hmm. run and mm-hmm. then lives in hiding mm-hmm. until for another year until her mother can get a visa to get them out of the country. I mean, just the terror that she must have felt Mm -hmm. every single day. Every day. As the world was changing. Mm -hmm. One thing that she told me one time that really broke my heart actually was when she got home, when she was beaten up and things like that, Obviously, this was not in the age of social media, you know, 24-hour news cycle, things like that. So she didn't know, especially as a kid, she didn't know that this was going on around the the country, right? Right. And her her mom didn't necessarily know what had happened either. You know, in in those times, it took a couple of days to really try to assess what had really happened, right? So my grandmother, my grandmother once told me she was embarrassed. She felt ashamed from that experience Mm -hmm. because she thought, well, there must be something wrong with me. All these kids, all these kids are here to beat me up and they're yelling at me and they're saying horrible things. She felt ashamed and that really broke, broke my heart. Right. Um, Obviously now as you know, and when she became an adult, she realized, you know, that's, you know, she shouldn't feel ashamed and she's, She's the most proud person. She, uh, my grandmother is an amazing person. And, but to, and she's so strong. Obviously you can imagine that this, this experience created a very strong woman. Um, So to hear her say that was, was really difficult for me to hear um, that she felt bad about herself for being beaten up in this kind of instance. So 
so yeah, uh, on top of being terrified and scared and not knowing and not understanding, also feeling ashamed about right. who you were. Yeah, it's horrible. And then to sit on that story, <laughs> you yeah. know, because mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure on some level there was, you know, A, not wanting to relive the terror, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe still being embarrassed, mm -hmm. um, you know, until the question was asked of her from yeah. the book, you know. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, and, and it's really a shame because while she remembers a lot, she doesn't remember everything, right? Because she was a kid. Sure. sure. And, and because we never, the family never talked about it, you know, her parents never really talked about it. My mom never heard about this from her grandparents who were adults going through this. And so it's a shame because a lot of that information has been lost now, um, right. filling in some of the details and things like that. Because my grandmother was, you know, nine when they left Germany and her sister was only five. So my great aunt really doesn't remember anything yeah. about it at all. Um, so it, it's a shame that that we don't have more information and that they couldn't talk about it earlier. And by the time my grandmother spoke about it, uh, both of her parents had already passed. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't we couldn't go back to them and ask for additional information. But we are so happy that she eventually did feel comfortable in sharing her story so that we could really understand you know, this incredible event that really shaped who she is as a person because she is an amazing person. So. Right. Mm -hmm. Knowing knowing this information, Lauren, and I know you and your siblings and your, you know, you've you've all basically taken on the mantle now of mm -hmm. sharing the story of how your basically how your family is still here. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine on a gratitude level, on a appreciation of life level, that those are very strong in you and your siblings and your, you know, their parents. Mm -hmm. and, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, completely. And my, it, just to think about the fact that so easily we could all not have been here mm -hmm. the the luck and the strength that it took for our family um for my grandmother and great-grandparents to get out of the holocaust i mean yes the the gratitude is huge and you and you don't take things for granted when you right. realize how quickly think how easily things could have been different how easily things right. could have been different it really causes you not not to take things for granted and why it is so important to make sure people understand this and understand the story and understand the holocaust and understand you know what how it started it's really made me consider you know how did this even happen how did Hitler, how did hitler come to power because right. it wasn't an overnight thing the holocaust didn't just start overnight it was gradual it was gradual. And I think that's really important to remember. And I think that's really important to be aware of that. It's not just, oh, suddenly, you know, right. we're killing, we're killing millions of Jews. No, it, it was years and years and years prior to that. And mm -hmm. it was a slow progression that led to more and more aggressiveness, more and more violence. And then finally you get 
termination camps and where you know you have gas chambers. So it doesn't just start overnight. It takes it takes a while to get there. And recognizing those early signs, I think, is really important. Absolutely, absolutely. And now you and Matt have <laughs> your own youngin. Yes, we do. We do. Our daughter Elliot. She just turned one last month, um, and she actually really interest. I mean, so her her name is Elliot Mave Schaefer. Okay. And Mave is for my grandmother. So my grandmother's name is Eve and, and Maeve is spelled M-A-E-V-E. So she has, she has Eve in her name. And actually my grandmother now has four great granddaughters and they all have, they all are named after her in some way. Awesome. All four of them are. And that just, I think that very clearly shows you the importance my grandmother, the important impact my grandmother has had on all of her grandchildren's lives. Because she has four great granddaughters from four different grandchildren, and they all are named after her in one way or another. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what did what did your grandmother do? um, You know, for work or Mm -hmm. taking care of her family, or you know, what did what did your grandparents do when? I guess when they got old enough to mm-hmm. be grown people. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my grandmother actually, going back to what an amazing woman she is. So she has a master's degree in psychology. Okay. And she actually taught at uh, Wayne State University, which is a college in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So she was one of the first female faculty members at Wayne State. Um, wow. Yep. So she taught psychology for a long time. Uh, lots of different psychology courses and she's very philanthropic. So she volunteered a lot of her time and a lot of money um, into charities. So Jewish children and family services is a charity that she still, um, you know, plays a big role in more so financially now than obviously with her time since she's 91. Um, But that's a charity that she holds very near and dear to her heart that she was very, very involved in. Um, when she was younger. So yeah, so she taught, she has a master's in psychology and she taught at Wayne State. And then my grandfather was a otolaryngologist, ear, nose and throat doctor, ENT. So he had his own practice there um, in Detroit. My great grandfather, the chemist. So he Mm -hmm. was, he was not able to get a job as a chemist in the U.S. There was still, you know, there was still stigma for sure. You know, he was, he was a German Jew um, so he did eventually actually get a job kind of like a pharmaceutical salesperson now, um, mm-hmm. similar kind of idea, you know, traveling salesperson for medical supplies and medicine and, and things like that. So that, that's what he did. Um, and he was able to support his family and, and things like that. So, amazing. yeah. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, personal question, what do you mm-hmm. see? in yourself of your grandmother? Oh my gosh. So she tells me all the time that uh, I have her intelligence. That's what she says. She says, awesome. you're, sm- you're smart, just like me. Um, and so she's like, you must've gotten my genes because <laughs> you're so smart. <laughs> um, 
So I hope I got that from her. She's a very, very smart lady. And I think I, I hopefully got her thick skin uh, and her empathy. My grandmother cares so much about everyone and anyone. She preaches love. Like in my household growing up, hate was a four letter word. Right. You, you do not say that you hate anyone mm -hmm. because hate is what led to the Holocaust. Right, right. So caring for people, kindness, empathy, those are the biggest things that I think I, I got from her when I really think about it. Um, that love, that's what's most important. And that's what brings people together. And that's what strengthens people. And that is what she has taught all of us since we were very little. That even if someone seems to be horrible, you know, she would say, I don't, I don't hate Hitler. I feel sorry for him. So wow. hate was not something we were ever allowed to say. We were ever allowed to I mean, even joke. It, it, it's not okay because hate leads to horrible things. Right. Even for so, the man who wanted you dead. That is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, she will tell you that today. I do not hate Hitler. I feel bad for him. You know, and she'll say he must have had a he must have had a horrible childhood to make him who he was. Um, so yeah, she is incredibly empathetic, and I and I hope I got that from her. It sounds like you did. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. From and, what and I, I know, guess, from what yeah. I know of you, I think you did. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, her thick skin. I think obviously you have to be tough um, right. to go through what she went through. Um, sure. So I, I, tr I try to have, I try to do that, but maybe I don't, maybe not so much that one, but I try, I do my best. I mean, growing up as a Jewish girl in the South, not the easiest thing. Yeah. So, I um, so I think that probably, you know, contributed to my thick skin as well in a good way, in a good way. You know, it's right, good to be able, right. it's, it's good to be able to let things roll off your back when you need to. Well, and you work in human resources and employee <laughs> relations, so there's a, yeah. whole, <laughs> there's a whole other level of thick skinness, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and empathy, and empathy. So and I empathy, guess I, for sure. I think I went into the same. I think I went into the right area. <laughs> I think you did. I think yeah. you did. Yeah. One more question for you, Lauren Schaefer. Mm -hmm. What brings you joy? Oh my goodness! What brings me joy? So what brings me joy is, is 100% family. Now having my own daughter for sure adds on to that. And I, we are actually, my entire family is getting together this weekend in Michigan with my, my grandmother. Gosh. Amazing. Uh, I, and many of them, I mean, my mom and stepdad have met Elliot, have met my daughter, but no one okay. else has because of the pandemic. Right. So... We are so excited. There's actually been three babies in my family born during the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we are all getting together this weekend in Michigan. And I am, my heart is so full thinking about it. I know my grandmother is going to love it. Right. And that, thinking about that brings me so much joy. Um, Those family. babies. 
<laughs> those babies are going to get so much love this week. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Those little, those poor little pandemic babies, <laughs> but um, yes, we are very excited about it. Everyone's vaccinated. All the adults are vaccinated. Right. And um, so, yes, that, that brings me joy, family, and of course, friends, but especially yes. with the past year plus of having to be distanced from people, um, most of my family does not live around here. So it'll be great. It'll be great to see everyone and get together um, and get to meet all these babies and introduce Elliot to everyone as well. So I look forward to seeing pictures of that. Yes, there will definitely be photos. <laughs> definitely be photos. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing the story of your grandmother and your great-grandfather and of basically you. I mean, that's just the whole amazing yeah. journey that your family has been through um, to be where you are today. Um, mm -hmm. It's just incredible. And I, you know, I know you've said it a couple of times, but I really, really, really pray that we never, ever forget. Yeah. Yes. Um, what happened in the 30s and 40s in Europe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Me too. And thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm always glad to share um, because if it gets to one person who maybe didn't know about it or has a new perspective, then, then it was totally worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.